If you Google him, you get over 200 million hits. If you Google image him, you get 14 million hits. If you do a news search, you get somewhere in the neighborhood of 40,000 hits, depending on the day. Most major magazines, including Newsweek and Time, put him on the cover at least once a year because sales go through the roof every time they do. He's the most represented person in art ever, by far. His book is the top seller every year for as long as anyone's been keeping track. His name's been on the lips of crusaders conquering and killing. His name's also been on the lips of humble servants serving the sick and the poor in some of the world's most forgotten places. He's been represented in film since the beginning of film. He's been represented on South Park and The Simpsons as a recurring character. He's been a superstar on Broadway a few times. He's even made an appearance on American Idol. He's often thanked for granting success to athletes on a field. His name is often said in anger, and everyone seems to be singing about him. Celebrities love him. He apparently has his own clothing line, as you can see. He's Brad Pitt's homeboy and Madonna's too. I don't know if you realize this or not, but Jesus is big business. Um, just in one small trip, um, I came up with, I purchased these items. I purchased my personal Jesus Nodder or bobblehead, depending on your phraseology, okay? I also got my very own, uh, I didn't know if you knew this or not, but you can grow a Jesus, okay? He, he grows when you put him in water, hallelujah. Can I get an amen? Jesus loves you, say, it says on the side there. Um, got my own Jesus dashboard ornament, okay? Um, he kind of bounces around there. Then there's uh, Jesus pencil toppers, just so you can stay focused on Jesus all day at school with your number two pencil. And uh, maybe he'll even give you the right answers. I don't know. Um, and then there's your own very own Jesus action figure, complete with uh, karate chop action. And he kind of rolls, kind of like he's walking on water or levitating, something like that. Um, he even has his own mints. I, I ate them all. They were pretty good. He's, uh, he's the most written about person in history. Just recently, I browsed Barnes & Noble. I came across four titles with Jesus' name in it just by browsing, just, just by walking around. History's been divided into two categories, before him and after him. He's been portrayed as a kind of silly-looking children's cartoon and kids' Bibles. He has his own fitness club now. He sometimes looks like ah, a hippie. Sometimes he looks sad, other times happy. Sometimes without any emotion at all, often beaten and bruised on a cross. He's been portrayed as white, middle class, and of course assumed to be Republican. Of course, he's been on bracelets and millions have asked the question, what would he do? He's on billboards, has his own network. You know, we really, really do live in Jesus land. And sometimes I think it's precisely because of our presumed familiarity with Jesus that we sometimes fail to take him seriously. That was true of Jesus' people in his own hometown. They watched him grow up, and because of their familiarity with him, they didn't take him seriously. But I have some questions about Jesus, and I would guess that you guys have some questions too. My first question about Jesus is a simple one. How? I mean, how is it possible that you and I are even familiar with him at all? How is it possible that 2,000 years later, Jesus is still the most famous figure in all of world history? How's it possible that a man who lived on this earth for only 33 years as a poor, impoverished tradesman who never traveled more than 200 miles from his hometown was born into scandalous conditions among an oppressed people group in a forgotten Roman outpost? How's it possible that we even know his name, much less getting 200 million hits on Google when you type it in? John Lennon once said, we're more popular than Jesus now. 
I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. I think Jesus won the longevity contest so far. Go ask a 12-year-old who John Lennon is. And I guess my other question is this, why? Why would we bother to put him on t-shirts? Why would we even care what a guy with a very common name for his day, who lived in a place most of us have never been, why would we even care what he had to say? Why? But more than anything, I want to know the answer to this question. And I hope you're with me on this. I got to know who. I got to know who Jesus really is. Because honestly, are billions of people really following any of the images we've seen so far today? I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I did not sign up to follow some sissy in a blue sash. That's not my deal. I didn't sign up to follow a nice guy who said nice things. The person I follow is not represented on a t-shirt. I don't want to follow one of my homeboys. The person I follow is not the South Park version. Many of uh, today's representations of Jesus, I think, have a whole lot in common with Santa, the Easter Bunny, and the Tooth Fairy. I've read more books about Jesus than I can count. I've read books by people who love him, people who follow him, people who hate him, people who say he never existed, people who like him, just don't want to follow him. And here's the conclusion I've come to, okay? We're stealing Jesus. We're stealing Jesus. He's the victim of identity theft to the worst degree. We've misinterpreted, misunderstood him. And it's amazing if you just kind of read how many people have written books about Jesus that never actually bothered to read anything he said or did. Or, this is the one that really gets to me, people who like to use Jesus' name as an adjective to describe their product as opposed to the subject of their worship. Because it is followers of Jesus who are most often guilty of using his name to hawk their wares, as we can see. A couple weeks ago, I was reading yet another book of somebody trying to push their agenda and stamping Jesus' name on it, hoping that would kind of help. And I just got frustrated because I had piles and piles of books about Jesus. So I took this one and literally threw it across my office and then went over to my whiteboard and wrote down, it's still there in the middle of my whiteboard, this simple statement. Too many people are speaking for Jesus and not enough are listening to him. Too many of us are speaking for Jesus and not enough of us are listening to him, including me. Because despite all the confusion that you and I might have about Jesus' identity, Jesus was never confused. Jesus knew exactly who he was. In fact, I love this quote by a guy named Howard Hendricks. He says this, There was no identity crisis in the life of Jesus Christ. He knew who he was, he knew where he had come from, why he was here, and where he was going. And that's what I want to talk about in this series. I want to talk about in this series where he said he came from, why he said he came, and where he said he was going. That's how we're going to frame it up. And so my hope and my prayer over the next few weeks is that we could push aside every preconceived notion, every pop culture representation, every picture that's been painted for us, and listen to Jesus tell us who he is. Let's let him speak for once. See who he really is. Let's meet Jesus, a Jesus with edges and personality, Jesus with purpose and emotion and character. See, if we want to know the real Jesus, not the bobblehead or pencil topper version of him, the one that a lot of us claim to follow, we got to start listening to him and he'll tell us who he is. Because here's the truth. When Jesus walked around on this planet, he was incredibly controversial. He said controversial things. He did controversial things. And because of that, people were divided about Jesus. He caused people to wrestle with who he was and consequently, maybe even more so, to wrestle with who they were at their deepest level. 
And where Jesus came from, his origin, so to speak, was a huge point of controversy when Jesus walked around on this earth. But again, Jesus was never confused. Just a couple of examples. Luke chapter 2, we read a story about Jesus when he was a 12-year-old boy. His family goes to Passover. They, they, the whole town, millions of Jews would flock to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And so he's no different. And so he goes with his family. And they stay there for the Passover feast. And then they return home in this huge entourage. It's a day into the journey before Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, realize he's not here. And this wouldn't be hard to happen. 12-year-old boy, he was kind of on his own anyway. I mean, th- there was an entourage, a whole town of people heading the same direction. Men, women, children would all move all over the place. They would just kind of move in like one big amoebic form. And so it's a day later before they realize Jesus is not there. And so Mary and Joseph, in a panic, go a day back to Jerusalem. They look for Jesus for three days until they finally find him in the temple. And they look at Jesus and go, Jesus, what's the deal? Why would you, you treat us this way? And Jesus responds like this. Check it out. Well, why were you searching for me, he asked. It, didn't you know? I had to be in my father's house. But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Did you catch it? My father's house? The temple was God's house. And no one in this culture called God father. It would be 18 more years before someone would introduce anyone to the concept of calling God father. And it would be Jesus, when he taught us to pray, said, Hey, when you pray, pray our father. In heaven. No one called God Father. Jesus did when he was 12. Fast forward 18 more years. Jesus has started his ministry. And it's Passover time. So again, he travels to Jerusalem. Just like he always did. And upon arrival, he goes where? He goes to the temple. Because that's what he always did. And when he gets there, he does not like what he sees. This is my favorite story in all the Bible. Check it out. John chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. When it was almost time for Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at a table exchanging money. Here's what's happening, okay? Millions of people are coming to Jerusalem. They got to go to temple to offer their sacrifices. The Sadducees who controlled the temple saw this as an opportunity to make money off of people's worship. And so they set up shop in the temple courts selling doves and cattle and sheep so people can make their sacrifices. And they're charging exorbitant prices. And people are coming from other countries. So they've got to exchange their money into the local currency. And so they're charging this jacked up exchange rate. Jesus sees it going on and it pisses him off royally. Because watch what he does. This is so cool. You're going to love this. So he made a whip out of cords. See, this this happens twice in Jesus' life. Once at the beginning of his ministry and once at the end. When he approaches, it's been portrayed in film that, you know, Jesus kind of flies off the handle, loses his temper. And we all kind of think, well, Jesus should probably say sorry for what he did there. No, no, no. This was premeditated. Jesus sees what's going on. He goes, you know what? I'll be right back. He goes over here and he gets some cords together and he starts weaving a cord, weaving a whip. And he's watching. He's going, I'll be right there. I'll be there in a second. Just let me get my whip together. This is not a tame Jesus. He returns back to the temple and watch what he does. Just imagine the spectacle. Imagine the scene. He drove off from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He's no sissy. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? You want to make Jesus mad, get between his people and the heart of his father. And did you catch it? He said it again, my father's house. Jesus knew exactly who he came from. 
In the Greek, the word father means by whom one is begotten. Jesus knew he was the only begotten son of his father, God. That's a huge claim. He's claiming an enormous amount of authority here. And this kind of claim doesn't exactly allow people to rely neutral on you, does it? When you make a, a big claim like that, and people got to kind of decide what they believe about you. Make, make no mistake. Jesus, he was divisive. And we could keep going all day, but I'm just going to give you one more example of how divisive Jesus was. Fast forward a couple years, it's September now, and it's time for another feast in Jerusalem. This is a different feast. This is called the Feast of Tabernacles. And again, many Jewish people would flock to Jerusalem for this. And the Feast of Tabernacles was in the fall, and it was a time to give thanksgiving to God for the, for the crops that they just harvested. We stole the whole thanksgiving thing from this feast. It was more than that, though. It was also a time of remembering it was a time to remember how God had provided for his people when they were delivered from slavery out of Egypt into the desert and how he provided for them. And so they would symbolically, in Jerusalem, all of them, they would live in tents or tabernacles or dwellings as, as it interprets. They, they would live in these tents to remember how God provided for them while they lived in the wilderness. But the biggest symbol of this feast was this thing called water. It was the central theme of this feast. Because when you're in the desert, water equals life. Hang on to that. We'll come back to it. If you've got your Bibles, go to John chapter 7, verse 1. That's where we're going to live for the rest of this time. If you've got a Flatirons Bible, it's page 742. Here's what it says, verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews were waiting to take his life. Over the past couple of years of Jesus' ministry, the intensity level has grown as every day has gone by because Jesus had this really good knack for breaking all the religious rules of his day. The religious leaders had added somewhere in the neighborhood of 613 extra rules to the ones God had already given in his law, and Jesus broke them all the time. In fact, the one that really got him in hot water that kind of led to this moment was he healed a lame man on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was a day where you weren't supposed to work. And instead of looking at this wonderful moment of this man being restored back to, to soundness, to health, that everybody got mad at him because he did a miracle on the Sabbath. And making a miracle on the Sabbath is like working. And ever since that moment the religious leaders have been conspiring to kill Jesus. And so he's laying low because, man, you talk about an intense time when everybody gets together for a festival, they're going to be looking for Jesus. So he is laying low. He's staying on the outskirts of Jerusalem. But his brothers approach him in verse 2, and look what they do. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples, the people who've been following you, may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. In other words, you want to be the man, you, you're going you're gonna to have to prove it on the biggest stage. You say you're the promised one, you say you're from God, well, show up and prove it. Look at verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. Jesus' own brothers are questioning his legitimacy. They're, they're taunting him. They're daring him to go show himself in the public eye. And Jesus says no. He says, you know what? My time's not yet come. I'm, I'm not going to do that. So he lets them go on ahead of him. And he comes into town a few days later. He sneaks into town. And when he arrives into town, there is a buzz about Jesus. Everybody's talking about him. Everybody's going, you think he'll show up? You think he'll come? You think he'll do something? You think this is the moment? You think he'll lead a revolt against the Roman Empire? You think he'll deliver us? You th what do you think is going to happen? You think we'll crown him king? What do you think is going to go on here? 
Everyone had an opinion about Jesus. And the opinions of Jesus, if you read on, were so similar to what people said on Pearl Street just a week ago. They said things like, he's a good man. Not God, he's, he's a good guy. Others said, no, 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 he's a liar. He's deceiving the people. And then things intensify quite a bit because, again, Jesus goes, guess where? He goes to the temple to start teaching about halfway through the feast. And when he goes to the temple and he starts teaching, he does something very different from every other rabbi who ever taught in the temple. Every other rabbi who ever taught in the temple would quote and cite other rabbis as their authority. I'm teaching you this based on the authority of that guy who lived 100 years ago. I'm speaking his words to you now. Jesus didn't quote anybody. He didn't cite anybody. He spoke on his own authority. And they looked at him and went, where did you learn this stuff? Whose authority are you speaking on? I mean, where did you get this? And this is how Jesus responds. Verse 16. My teaching's not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he'll find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Now, time out. Here's what he's saying. He's going, just try it. It's what we say around here all the time. Just try it. Lay your life up against the life Jesus is calling you to and take the best deal on the table. We've learned around here that Jesus always points to a better way to live. He points to what's true. He's saying, just try out my teaching and see if it's true or not. You'll find out who it's from. Then he goes on and says, he who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. And then he really presses the gas pedal because he looks around and goes, you know what? And at the end of the day, you guys are a bunch of lawbreakers because you're trying to kill me under false pretenses. That's breaking a big law. A bunch of people are sitting there going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they respond in verse 20. They go, you're demon possessed. Who's trying to kill you? See, now they think he's a paranoid lunatic. There's a bunch of people in the crowd. They have no idea that the religious leaders have hatched and they're about to birth this plan to take Jesus' life in about six short months. They're ignorant of that. Now, time out for a second, okay? Can you feel the intensity of this exchange? I mean, can you feel the controversy swelling around Jesus? And can you sense that Jesus is actually the one causing it? How's your picture of Jesus doing? How's the bobblehead version of Jesus, the the cartoon version of Jesus doing in your brain right now? He doesn't seem so tame anymore, does he? Doesn't seem so easy to digest right now at all. And it gets more intense. Check this out. At that same point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is. He's speaking publicly and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he's the Christ? But we know where this man's from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, I love this, then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out. So they're like whispering about him over here. They're talking about him over here. He's over there. He's teaching. He hears what they're saying because he's God. And he says, hey, hey, you guys want to talk to me about this? And he responds. He goes, yeah, you know me. You know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You don't know him, but I know him because I'm from him and he sent me. See, this crowd on this day is seriously conflicted about Jesus. They're asking the question, is he the Christ or isn't he the Christ? Did you know that Christ is not Jesus' last name? It's not. It's an Old Testament title that means anointed one, Messiah, Savior of the world. This is the issue they're divided on. Same issue we're divided on today, right? At the end of the day, it comes down to this question, is he or isn't he? And Jesus responds by saying, I'm the one, folks. 
I come straight from God, and this is the ultimate. I mean, you don't make this claim without causing quite a bit of commotion, and that's exactly what happens. Check it out, verse 30. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him, and they said, When the Christ comes, will he, could he possibly do more miracles than this man? See, this has happened before. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? That they tried to seize him, but they couldn't lay a hand on him. His very first sermon in his hometown. He he goes to the synagogue, he unrolls a scroll, he reads from Isaiah, and then he looks at all and goes, today that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the guy you've been waiting on. You know what they do? They try to drag him to the top of a hill and throw him off a cliff, but he walks through their midst. They can't lay a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Jesus caused controversy from day one. And on this day, it's no different. Some put their faith in him in this day, but others... They want to speed up the process of putting him to death. And so the religious leaders try to get him arrested. Now let's press pause here, okay? Believe it or not, things are about to get even more volatile, okay? During this feast, on a daily, uh, daily routine, the high priest would go to the temple and he would get this golden pitcher and he would march down about a mile to the pool of Siloam and he would fill the golden pitcher and he would march back to the temple for the day's ceremonies. This was to remind them again of how God had provided water for them in their desert experience. On the last and greatest day of this feast though, Thousands upon thousands of people would join the high priest as he grabbed that pitcher and marched down to the pool of Siloam and they would dance and they would sing and they would shout and they would all go with them and they would always sing the words of Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And then in unison they would shout this phrase, Oh Lord, save us. Imagine how loud, imagine the commotion. And that phrase, Oh Lord, save us. It's the word Hosanna. We're going to hear it a lot in this series. And he would fill the pitcher and they would be shouting Hosanna, Hosanna. And they would march back up to the temple and they would all gather around. They would get eerily quiet and the, the, the high priest would raise up the golden pitcher and he'd begin to pour it out. And as he began to pour it out, they would all together shout the words of Isaiah twelve three: With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Salvation? Hebrew word Yeshua root word of the name Jesus. Picture it. Thousands upon thousands shouting, with joy you'll draw water from the wells of Yeshua. It was a moment of looking back, but more than that, it was a moment of looking forward with hope that God would deliver them, that the the Christ would come, that Hosanna would appear, the salvation of his people would become known. And it's in this moment, right in this moment, as the water's being poured out and everyone's shouting for joy, with joy you will draw water from the well of salvation, Jesus stands up and starts yelling, creating a disturbance. And here's what Jesus says. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now picture that moment. Thousands of people standing there in unison, thirsting for the coming of the Christ, praying together for that purpose. And Jesus stands up in front of all of them and says, I'm the guy. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I can quench your thirst. I'm life. I'm water in your desert place. I'm Jesus, Yeshua, Hosanna. I'm your salvation. It does not get any more bold than that. It does not get any more clear than that. Jesus did not see himself as just some more, some flash in the pan rabbi. 
He didn't see himself as just another good guy or prophet. Jesus didn't see himself as just some enlightened wise man. Jesus knew exactly who he was because he knew exactly who he came from, why he was here, and where he was going. And it's that statement and that moment that was like a bomb going off in the crowd, as you can imagine. And the controversy and the division grew. Look at it, verse 40. On hearing his words... Some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. They thought maybe he was the prophet that was to prepare the way for Jesus. That was John the Baptist. You already missed him. Others said, he's the Christ. Still others said, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? They didn't know. Jesus had been born in Bethlehem and he was in the line of the family of David. Thus the people were, here it is, divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? And I love their response. It's a great response. Um, Well, no one ever spoke like this man does. No one ever spoke like this man does. And the guards, they're indignant. They go, you mean you've been deceived by him also? The crowd was divided. Some said, he's a prophet. He's another one of God's many good messengers. Some said, he's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. Some weren't sure and some wanted him dead. But the guards got it right. No one ever spoke like this man did. No one. See, so many people, so many people think Jesus was a good teacher. But not God in the flesh. Or a prophet, but definitely not God. Or enlightened or whatever. But Jesus' words... They don't leave us the room to consider him those things. His words don't leave us the room to consider him just a nice guy. His words, his actions force us at some point to make a decision. Probably C.S. Lewis's most famous quote is this one. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But here it is. But let us not come with any of this patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He didn't intend to. It was summed up later by saying he's either a liar He's like David Koresh, Jim Jones type guy, a lunatic, Charles Manson type guy, or he's Lord. You see this Jesus, the real one, the one we just barely, barely scratched the surface of tonight, is not represented very well on a t-shirt or a bobblehead or with some cheap action figure. Jesus can't be compartmentalized or categorized because Jesus was intense. This Jesus, the real one, He didn't have an identity crisis. See, the versions of Jesus that we've created are not Jesus at all. So let me ask you a question. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Are you in a desert place? Have you ever cried out, save me if you're there, God? Is there any deliverance from this, God? Are you out there God, if you're thirsty, Jesus said, come to me. I'll quench your thirst. I'll be your Hosanna. I'll be your deliverer. See, I think today we have to really wrestle 
We got to really wrestle with who is the real Jesus and consider what does the real Jesus have to do with me? You got to wrestle with that. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, there's lots of us here at Flatirons that aren't. You're just checking this place out, just wondering about Jesus. Could I challenge you with this? Would you for the next couple of weeks just wrestle with this question? Is Jesus who he said he is? And if that's true, how would that impact my life? Just the next couple of weeks, would you keep coming back, keep processing that question? Is Jesus who he said he is? And if that's true, what impact would that have on my life? And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, could we wrestle with this question, those of us who claim to follow Jesus, could we really wrestle with, are we following the real Jesus? Or have we fallen into the trap at times of creating Jesus in our image? Have we fallen into the trap of creating a very comfortable, easy-to-digest version of Jesus and then saying we follow that? i got to wrestle with that. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, could I challenge you during the next two songs we're about to sing, please don't leave. Stick around during these next two songs and really wrestle with that question. Who are you really following? Because the ultimate question is, what do you do? (laughs) What do you do with a Jesus who won't fit into your categories, who refuses to be put in the box? And if he is who he said he is, is he worth following? We've got to wrestle with all those questions. We've got a lot to wrestle with. And to help us do that, I've got some homework for us, okay? Now, I know we're not big on homework. We just got out of school, some of us, and we don't want homework. And I know a lot of you won't do this, but I'm asking, would all of us do this homework just for the next couple weeks? Here it is. Would you pick one of the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. We've got them around here. Take it as you leave, okay? And take the next two weeks to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Mark is the shortest, okay? (laughs) Read that. And as you're reading it, just write down every descriptive phrase you can think of Jesus, okay? And then email me at some point in the next two weeks with your favorite story of Jesus and or any question you have about Jesus, okay? Your favorite story and any question you have about Jesus. The web address, the email address is in your program, but Jesus now has an email address at Flatirons. Here it is, Jesus underscore questions at flatironschurch.com. So please, 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 would you, would you do that? Here's my prayer, okay? Here's what I'm, I'm really hoping will happen for the next two weeks. Could we just meet Jesus for the next few weeks? Could we do that? Could we journey together to try to encounter the real Jesus? I'm waiting to hear if you're in for it or not. Could we do that? All right. For the next couple of weeks, let's do that. I think he's going to rock our world. Let's pray. God, thanks. Thanks for your son. God, it's obvious that Um, Even if we're not sure who Jesus is, it's very obvious he's made an incredible impact on this earth. The fact that we even know his name tells us that. But God, I, I know in the deepest part of my being that you sent Jesus here for people like us. Because we can't do this on our own and we're dry and we're cracked and we're thirsty. So you sent Jesus to quench our thirst. God, I pray for anyone here, anyone here who does not know the life-saving love of your son Jesus, that over the next few weeks, they would encounter him, fall at his feet and follow him. And God, for those of us who've been followers of yours for forever or for a few minutes or a few seconds, but we've gotten off course and we've started to follow something that kind of looks like you, but not really you. 
God, forgive us for that and draw us back to your son. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for our Hosanna. It's in his name. Amen.